Angie is a single woman who has been going to the same church for almost a year now. Last week she came in and she took her usual spot in the back. Usually no one talks to her. But this week someone came in and introduced themselves to them, introduced themselves to her, and asked if this was at her first time at the church. Angie feels like a ghost. Tony is majorly bipolar. When he's having a good day, he's loud and he's unpredictable. When he's having a bad day, he's quiet and he's moody. Most of the people just leave him alone. Nancy is married, but her husband seldom talks to her. When he does, he usually only insults her. Rumor has it that they're getting, things are getting worse and that they're headed for a divorce. She comes to a church, she, she comes by herself. She doesn't really talk to anyone, and no one really knows what to say to her. Jerry is struggling with sin, and he's afraid that somehow, some way, someone is going to find out about it. And he feels guilty all the time, and he stopped coming to care group. And when he comes to church, he doesn't really want to talk to people. He doesn't really make eye contact, and he takes off as soon as it's done. The Johnsons come to church every Sunday morning, and they love it. But come Monday morning... They feel all alone. They don't see or hear from anyone in the church all week long. All of these people come to a church that are full of people, and yet they feel alone when they're here. This morning we want to look at what God's answer is for this aloneness. God's answer to this aloneness is fellowship with him and with other believers. God's answer to aloneness is fellowship with him and with other believers. The series that we're going through is called Why the Church, and this message this morning is on community. And there's many different approaches that we could take to looking at community because it's found throughout the Bible. Everywhere you look, we see God's community. And we could have looked in Acts chapter 2, which is the first church, and what they did and how they, they broke bread together, they fellowshiped together, they were around the apostles' teaching they were always together. We could have looked at it from that perspective. We can go to 1 Corinthians if we want to find out more about the body and how the body operates. But this morning I want to do something different. I want to look at it from the perspective of those that feel alone. And those who don't feel that they have a sense of community. And those that don't feel fellowship. And I want to find out how it is that we help them. And how we build the community here at King of Grace in our lives and in our families, in our friends and in our relationships. I'd gone to a conference in October in Texas, um, a CCF conference. The title was called Not Alone, the Relational Core of All Life and Counseling. It was, a, it was a counseling conference that I'd gone to. So the speakers were David Paulson, Ed Welch, Winston Smith, Elise Fitzpatrick, and this had a huge, huge impact on my thinking. So a lot of the stuff I'm saying is going to be what they said. I'm going to talk about compassion that's all from Ed Welch. All I'm really doing is just borrowing his words and putting it into, into mine, um, just so you know where we're going. But I just really want to pray about this, because, you know, every time we get up here, I'm sure Paul feels this, I know that I do. I, I read this stuff, and I study it, and I say, this is the most important thing that we need to know, because it's God's word. And all of God's word is important. But there's just something about community and the sense of being alone and why we're a body in the first place is just so, so critical that we understand. 
So I just want to pray that God's spirit will be upon us so that he just, just drives us home and lets us understand this. Father God, we come before you, Lord, as people who often feel alone, Lord, or at different times in our life feel alone. And you are the answer, Lord, and your answer is fellowship with you, and your answer is fellowship with each other. You have so much love and so much compassion for us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand it this morning so that we may show this love and this compassion to others. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So first of all, we want to look at who is most likely to feel alone. We already looked at a few people to get an idea of what they experience in this aloneness. So, community is sharing a common life together. It's the opposite of this aloneness. The feeling of being totally alone is one of the worst feelings of all. And I'm not talking about like a dark and stormy night when you're there by yourself and, you know, everything's going on in the storm. But even then, right, don't we want something? We turn on the TV or we, you know, get the dog to sit up on the couch with us. We want that, right? And I'm not talking about being single because single is a normal part of the church. The Apostle Paul was single and he was the greatest Christian of all. And he urges people to stay in that singlehood if they're able to. So singlehood is right and it's normal. And I'm not talking about singlehood. What I'm talking about is that feeling of aloneness where you have no one to turn to. There's no one to talk to. There's no one to laugh with. And there's no one to be with. This is the kind of aloneness that I'm talking about. And it's amazing, because I don't know if you knew this or not, but aloneness is one of the punishments that God inflicts on the unrighteous. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10. And let me just say this, if you have your Bibles, uh, I've got so many quotes. Like I said, fellowship is found all over, so I've got like 10 overheads and stuff, and we might not keep up with them all, but, you know, look them up or listen, but we're going to be kind of bouncing around here. But aloneness is one of God's punishments. Listen to this. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. He's talking about the day when the saints, when the people meet Christ and they are together, that great and glorious day. And he's saying that this eternal punishment is that you're going to be away from that. Away from God and away from people. It's the worst punishment that you can get. With this aloneness, uh, to get my job as an air traffic controller, I had to go to the FAA Academy uh, down in Oklahoma City. And the first day that we got there, they had us all sit in this big auditorium. There's about 300 of us that were going through there. And they said, look to the person on your right, look to the person on your left. At the end of this, one of them will be gone. They will not make it. About 50% who go through fail and wash out at that academy. And so it's so tough. You can imagine how tough it is. And so we were down there for three months, and they broke us into classes of about 20 people each. Some of the people who were there got a roommate. Lots of times it was people who were going through the same program. You could go on a website and get a roommate before you got there. Some of the people, like myself, had their wife or their husband come down. But some of them lived by themselves with no roommate at all. They just rented an apartment for the three months that they were down there. Sure enough, the end of class, about 50% fail, about 50% of the people passed. And I was looking at it later on and reflecting those people who made it and the people who didn't. Every single person 
who lived alone that was in my class failed. Every single one. Not everyone who lived with someone else made it, but of those who lived alone, every single one of them failed during that class. Things are just, you know, so hard to do alone. These people came down here. They gave up their friends. They gave up their family for three months. And after class, and with all the pressure of knowing how hard it was, they went home to that empty apartment, and they didn't have that support system. Being alone is so tough. And there are many of us who feel alone. We've had people have come to the church and have left, and Pastor Paul and I have talked to them. And lots of times people go for little, you know, reasons like we're moving or you know, whatever the case is like this. But we've had people who have said during this time and talking to them before that they felt like they had no friends at the church. They came to church, but they didn't feel like they had any friends. So one of the things that we need to do to ask is who is most likely to be alone? Who is most likely to not sense that, that community? In order to ask that question, though, we need to ask, what are the things that cause us to feel alone? Because there are things that cause us to feel alone. I'm just going to list a few because there's many. But sin is one of the things that causes us to feel alone. Sin, by its very nature, causes us to feel alone. Sin is always self-isolating. Sin always brings with it this sense of guilt and this sense of shame. It brings with us a desire to hide. We can look at Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned, they hid from God. They hid. So sin causes us to hide from God, and it causes us to hide from each other. And it causes us to feel alone. And what happens when we see other people falling into sin? What is our temptation? Is it to bring them in and to gather them up? Oftentimes, our first thing is to condemn them. Or to ignore them because we don't know what to do. But our first instinct isn't always to draw them in. But it's only to make that aloneness work. My brother Chad struggles with, or actually, before I get to that, uh, suffering is one of the other things. I was doing the illustration before the point. So I'll make the point first. Here's the point. Sin causes isolation, causes us to feel alone. Suffering is another thing that causes us to feel alone. You feel alone in your pain. No one else can feel the pain that you are going through. So my brother suffers with Crohn's colitis. He's been sick for over a decade now at least. He's had many, many surgeries. I think they removed his large intestine, um, did a bunch of other stuff. He's had too many doctor's appointments to name. He's in pain most of the day. He takes pain medication like every four hours and and has for years. But he's one of the strongest Christians I know, and he prays for people constantly. But last week he posted this on Facebook. When you have pain from Crohn's that even the pills don't relieve, you feel all alone. Even if you know without a doubt how strong your faith is. I have a good wife and an awesome daughter, a family and in-laws that care. But it's not easy for family or friends to understand what you go through. Because we all handle pain and suffering differently. You know, suffering isn't just physical. Because sin causes brokenness. And it causes broken relationships. And in any of this brokenness, we will find aloneness. We find aloneness in broken friendships, in broken marriages, in abusive relationships, whether they're in the past or whether they're now. That aloneness is there. 
You know, one of the most alone feelings is is to be in a marriage that's falling apart. It's to be in a marriage that has no love and has no respect. It's to be in a marriage and have that person not be your friend. And have that person not want to be your friend. Who else struggles with being alone? People who struggle with mental health issues feel alone. Again, by the very nature, these cause us to feel alone. In depression, we feel alone. Bipolar, autism, anxiety disorders, all of these cause us to feel alone and disconnected from other people as well. There are so many things that cause aloneness. Single mothers feel alone. Single people who live in this married world oftentimes feel alone. Elderly feel alone. Sometimes mothers with small children feel alone. Or parents with kids who have behavioral problems. Can you imagine what it's like to come into a church where every kid is perfect but yours? We're just going to feel that way. Even if no one is judging us, even if they're accepting us, there's always that feeling of that aloneness that comes up. But see, God has not made us to be alone. He has made us to live in fellowship. When God saw Adam, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so he made Eve so that he wouldn't be alone and that he would be together. All of mankind recognizes this need for fellowship. Society understands this need to overcome aloneness, right? And they try to fill it up with so many different things. They substitute true Christian community for whatever it is that they can find. Work, sports, politics, it doesn't matter. They try to find something to fill it up so they have that sense of community as well. We can look at most TV shows, right? Look at most TV shows, and they show community of some sort that are in there, right? It's either a family or it's a group of friends, group of co-workers, but they're all working for this common goal. If you're old enough, you can remember the theme song from Cheers, and we have an overhead uh, for this, so <laughs> you guys, I'm sure I can hear the people laughing, right? Young people are like, what are they talking about? <laughs> so I'm not going to sing it. You can thank me later for that. <laughs> It says, making your way... <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I'm going to not. Okay. <laughs> I actually thought about that for a minute, but I'm like, uh, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> making your way in the world takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're glad. They're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see all our troubles are the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Cheers was their answer to aloneness. A bar with your friends was enough. But it's not enough. Only God is enough. God's answer to aloneness is fellowship with himself and with other believers. It is this community of Christians. So what is this community? Community is sharing a common life together. It's a relationship and not an activity. We have an overhead for this. This is Jerry Bridges uh, in his book. I think it's called True Community, if I remember right. He says in both Acts 24, or 2, 20, 2, 42 and 1 John 1, 3, the English Bible translates the word koinonia, as sharing a common life. This is the most basic meaning of koinonia, or fellowship. 
It is sharing a common life with other believers. A life that is first, or John 1.3 says we share, that should be first John 1.3, we share with God and the Father, God the Son. It is a relationship, not an activity. Get that. Community is a relationship. It is not an activity. Community is sharing our lives together. It is living with each other. It is supporting each other. It is loving each other. It is the opposite of this individualism that is so prevalent in today's society, right? Live free or die is the New Hampshire's motto. I did it my way. This whole individualism, we're just surrounded by it. But God's answer is different than that. God's answer is fellowship with him. It is fellowship with other people. And the very foundation, as we saw last week from Paul, the very foundation of this Christian community is the fact that we are the body of Christ. Simply stated, this is an undeniable, objective fact. We are the body of Christ. We don't always feel like it, and we certainly don't always show it, but it's a reality that we are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Jerry Bridges, again commenting on this, says this, We have been called to share in Christ's very life. God did not call us into association with Christ, but into union with him, into an actual sharing of his all-powerful life. Our union with Christ is an objective fact that is true, whether we realize it or not. It is true that just as the life of the vine flows naturally into the branch, so the life of Jesus Christ flows naturally into you and me. We're the body of Christ. And not only the body of the Christ, as if that's not enough, the body of Christ, we have fellowship with God himself. Paul was talking this morning just about the, the temple and the Holy of Holies and the altar and going you know, into that place in order to see it. But well, we have fellowship with God himself and we don't need to go to that temple to stand before the altar. We have fellowship with God himself. First John 1 John 1.3 That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, that meaning Jesus Christ, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We have fellowship with the Father, with Christ. We have fellowship with each other. These two things can never, ever be separated. When someone asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this one statement, He forever ties together loving God and loving others. They can never be separated. Fellowship with God and fellowship with people are always together. And that's the fellowship that we're called into. We're called into fellowship with others. We cannot live the Christian life alone. It cannot be God and me because we were built for fellowship. We are Christ's body. We have union with Christ. We are built for oneness. In John 17, it's called Jesus' high priestly prayer, prayer. <laughs> Where? <laughs> Let me get some water here quick. 
That's my Elmer Fudd invitation. <laughs> I can tell I was getting carried away. All right, so here's what we're looking at. John chapter 17. Uh, Jesus Christ is in the upper room uh, right before he's crucified. He's talking to his disciples, and he prays while he's in that room. Listen to this prayer. We're only prayers like this long. We're going to take this much out of it. But listen to how many times he uses one when he prays. He's praying to the Father. This is Jesus Christ himself. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Jesus here is praying to the Father. This is one of his last prayers on earth as a man. He's going to die, and he knows it. And he looks through, it's like, what is the one thing that I want to ask God before I go, that I want to ask the Father before I go? And he says that they may be one. That they may be one as you are one. As I am in you and you are in me, I want to be in them and you in them and one. Fellowship. This is one of his last and greatest prayers. His desire is that we be one. Jesus looks at you. He looks at you with that same prayer. And he wants you to be one with the Father. And he wants you to be one with each other. And he wants you to have that fellowship that he experiences, the Son with the Father. Our attitude has to be the same towards each other. We need to look at each other with the same attitude that Jesus Christ has and say, we want to be one. We want that fellowship. We want that unity. We want what Jesus Christ asked God to give us. What are the goals for, what are God's goals for community? What are God's goals for community? The first goal is that the body is built up into the fullness of Christ. God made us to operate as a body, and only when we operate as our body will we become mature. Look at um, Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 13, and then drop it down to half of 16. He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, maintain, or all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God's goal in our fellowship is that this body will grow so that we will be built up into love, that we will be built up into the fullness of Christ. What's God's second goal in evangelism? And certainly we're not limiting it to two goals, but what's another goal that God has? I don't think I said that right today. What's, what's the goal in fellowship? And the answer is evangelism. I think I said, what's the goal in evangelism? But the goal that he has is evangelism. Um, go back to Jesus's, his, his prayer. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays to the Father that our becoming one will result in other people believing in him. The continued outcome of our fellowship is evangelism to the world. Community doesn't stop at community. It goes on to evangelism. And when the world sees us as a body, they will believe in Jesus Christ. By this, all people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So what are some hindrances to this community? I'm not going to take any time other than just list off some hindrances, because we all know what these hindrances are, and as you look at your own life, you'll see what these hindrances are. Number one, this New England attitude, right? New England is known for its independent attitude. Second, we're a regional church and not a town church. We've got people who live in New Hampshire. We've got people who live out east. One of the natural hindrances that we have to overcome is if you live 30 minutes west of the church and you want to get together 30 minutes with someone who's 30 minutes east of the church, that's an hour drive before you get there. It's a natural hindrance that must be recognized and it must be overcome. Some of the other ones is we're just too busy. There's just too much going on. Or we just want to stay home in the evenings. We don't want to leave the house. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have a house for entertaining. Perhaps a single person says, I have an apartment. I don't feel like I can have a family of six come over. The answer is you can. Or you can go somewhere, go on a hike, or, you know, go do something. It's, these obstacles um, shouldn't prevent any of us whatsoever from experiencing community in this fellowship. A couple other ones are personality. Some people are quiet. They're not outgoing. They're not, they don't feel comfortable going up and meeting new people, things like that. They're just naturally quiet. Um, other people don't see it as important. They don't see it as a critical element of being part of the church. So those are some of the hindrances. And what I want to talk now is I want to give some practical how to do community at an individual level, right? Because we can think, lots of times we think of community as, as Sunday mornings and, you know, care groups and, you know, things of, things of that, which are absolutely 100% community. But I want to talk about something more than just the corporate things. I want to talk about just the individual level and some of these practical things to do that. So I have three of them. Um, number one is show compassion. Show compassion. At the conference that I went to, Ed Welch spoke. He said, isolation and aloneness is palpable in the midst of hardships. And God has promised to break through that aloneness with compassion. And we are to break through with compassion. Compassion breaks through isolation. We need to respond to others out of love and out of compassion. All of those who feel alone, for whatever reason it is, whatever reason that these people feel alone, they need love and compassion. And we can see that in our own lives. For whatever reason we are where we are, Jesus Christ has shown us love and compassion. And when we look at others, we need to recognize that it doesn't matter what brought him there. 
They need that love and they need that compassion. So how do we show compassion to other people? We know we need to do it, but how do we show compassion to other people? Number one, be a reflector of Christ's compassion. Be a reflector of Christ's compassion, right? The gospel says that Jesus left heaven to die on the cross because he had compassion on me as a sinner. This compels me to show compassion to others. We want to reflect this compassion that Jesus Christ has for us. Number two, add a person to your heart. Add a person to your heart. Look around for someone that you can add to your life. And be intentional. Get to know them. And follow up with them and say, you've been in my heart this week. I thought about you. You're in my heart. Try to be connected to as many people as you can in this way. Just to get to know them. Number three, enter into their sorrow. When someone's mourns, mourn with them. If you don't know what to say, just say, I'm sorry for what you're going through. We don't need to know what to say. We don't need to have the right words to show compassion. Just say, I'm sorry for what you're going through. It must be, you know, it must be horrible. It must be tough. You know, just enter into it. See, compassion acts. Compassion says something. And we lose the privilege of entering into that person's life if we don't say anything. There's an opportunity that we have to enter their lives. Enter with compassion and love. And if we say nothing, we lose that opportunity. So say something. Just if it's, I'm sorry to hear that. Next, sacrifice something. Jesus Christ sacrificed so that we could have community. He sacrificed his life in order to do this. For when we're in heaven, we will be in community and fellowship forever. That's what that passage that we looked at earlier, the First Thessalonians passage, was talking about that day when Christ returns and all the people are gathered up and we're together in that fellowship. And the punishment for those who aren't are that awaiting us. And so Christ sacrificed his whole life to do it. We need to sacrifice our time or some TV watching or, in this case, our being warm. <laughs> right? Get into your cold car so you can warm someone's heart. See, Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And one of these works is isolation and loneliness. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a lion, seeking for someone to devour. Who do lions devour? When there's a herd that's going through, what do they do? They take the one that's alone. He takes the one that's away from it. Satan does the exact same thing. Jesus Christ came and died that we might have fellowship forever with him. And in heaven, we will walk with him. On earth, we should walk with others. In heaven, he will wipe away our tears. Here on earth, we are to wipe away each other's tears as well. In heaven, there's going to be people from every tribe and tongue and nation, more than can be counted. And here... We need that fellowship with people from, from different walks of life, and as many as we can. He's saying it's like there's going to be too many people to count, and we are to reflect what Christ has done here on earth as well. Uh, next, um, if our fellowship is with God first, and again, next, so in case you got lost, what we're looking at is some practical, individual ways that we can 
impact people's lives. So the first one was show compassion. The second was was sacrifice something in order to do that fellowship. Number three, just practical advice, is that is to talk about spiritual things when you're with people. Right? If our fellowship with God is with God first and then with his people, we need to talk about spiritual things. This is one of the ways that we build up the body. We have an overhead from this. And I didn't write down who wrote this, but I'm pretty sure it was Jerry Bridges from the same book. Um, he, he writes this. Those first Christians from the day of Pentecost were daily gaining a new understanding of the scriptures. And as they individually learned from the apostles' teachings, they shared with one another what they were learning. This is fellowship, sharing with one another what God is teaching through the scriptures. And this is an important part of true community. How different is our present-day concept of fellowship? Take those typical times of coffee fellowship. We discuss everything else except the scriptures. We talk about our jobs, our studies, our favorite sports teams, and the weather. Almost anything except what God is teaching us from his word and through his working in our lives. If we are to regain the New Testament concept of fellowship... Within the community, we must learn to go beyond the temporal issues of the day and begin to share with each other on a level that will enhance our spiritual relationships with one another and with God. I remember talking to my mother-in-law. Both Mickey's mom and dad have passed away, but her dad passed away first. And I remember talking to her mom after her dad had passed away. It had been a while. I said, what is one of the things that you miss the most about You know, having dad gone, having your husband gone, what's one of the things you miss the most? And she said, you know what I miss the most? She said, talking about spiritual things. She says, no one talks about spiritual things anymore when they get together. He said, we used to talk about spiritual things all the time. And I miss that. We have a couple of uh, new ways that we're just starting out where we can kind of develop this fellowship uh, doing it. And the first one is we're going to start having a men's prayer breakfast. Dave Muir, where's Dave? I don't Is Dave here? Oh, there he is. I forgot he was, a, he was one of the greeters. So Dave Muir and myself have been talking about this for months. We wanted to do this. And we, we were going to set up a time where uh, the guys can get together, the men in the church can get together on a weekly basis for a time of fellowship and a time of food. And we're going to start this Friday. Uh, we didn't get it in the bulletin. Uh, but it's going to start this Friday, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Meet at the church. Bring your Bibles. It's going to be one hour. Um, so that we can, just, we can just have this time of fellowship where we get to know some of the guys in the church. We're going to have a time of short study time. So there's going to be 15 minutes of study time, 15 minutes of uh, prayer time, and half an hour just to talk, just to, just to get to know each other. Fellowship. So Friday uh, morning, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Second way, what we're gonna uh, what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna have, and I don't want the name of this, so I'm just making this up, but it's called the floating dinner. And uh, what we want to start doing here is um, it was we had done it in a previous church. Mickey and I had done it. It was called dinner for eight, but it was only for for couples, or I, I don't know why it was. It's just the way they chose, or maybe it was just for eight people. I guess is what it was. But in this, so I'm gonna describe what that is and just say what we're gonna do. So because it's easier to describe what they're gonna do. <laughs> So what they did was they had uh, four couples that were in there. And week one, is meets, it's going to meet one, one dinner per month. So the last four months long, you know, so 
whatever those months work out to be. I can't do the math while I'm talking. But <laughs> so dinner number one, month number one, we'll be at host family number one, and they'll do like the entree. Families number two, three, and four will bring salads or desserts or drinks or whatever else that goes on. So that's month number one. Month number two, you go to host family number two, and they do it, and everyone moves and does something different. And you go three, and you go four, all the way through there. So what we want to do is uh, put up a sign-up and see whoever's interested in it. And we want single people. We want couples. We want families. We want this community. We want that. What we're going to do is we're going to, once we get all the names of the people, we're going to divide them up into numerically about the same amount so that if we have, like, you know, three host families or four, whatever it is like that, so we go through. And the goal is hopefully to have dinner with people that you don't know or people that you don't know well so that you can build up this fellowship and so that we can go through and do it. And then after that stuff, if you're interested again, everyone would, you know, switch and we'd put new names in there. But it's, a, it's just designed to, um, you know, just to build up the fellowship and just build up the body. So I was supposed to get a sheet out there, but I didn't. Maybe someone can just grab a piece of paper and uh, if anyone's interested uh, in doing that. So... No, none of that. No, we need the none of that's done yet. What we need now is to figure out if people want to do it, how many people want to do it, and then what we'll do is we'll divide up the things. And so let's say we have two different sets of them, and this set can figure out does it work better Monday or Friday or Sunday, and this one Monday, Friday or Sunday, and then each set will decide what day and what time. We're going to try to be as flexible as possible uh, in doing that. Um, to kind of wrap things all up, we all at one time or another feel alone. Jesus Christ himself went through aloneness. He was all alone in the Garden of Gethsemane. His three best friends are with him, and he asks them to pray. He's going through one of the greatest temptations that he's going to go through, and he says, can you stay awake and you pray? They fall asleep and they don't pray. Wakes them up, they fall asleep and they don't pray. They don't pray. He's all alone. He is facing temptation by himself. At one point it says he was sorrowful even unto death. He goes to the cross alone. And he doesn't feel God. His aloneness is greater than just people. His aloneness is the aloneness of not having God. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The person who had access to the Father at all times, the person who had the greatest fellowship with God himself is alone at the cross. And he now sympathizes with us in our aloneness. He can now comfort us when we go through our aloneness because he has been there and he sympathizes with us. I want you to look around this morning and see who is struggling with aloneness and sympathize with them. Show them comfort. Show them compassion. Find someone and bring them into your life. Find someone and make them a part of who you are. Make them a part of your life. The band can come up as I uh, finish in prayer here. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And we recognize that if you say the greatest commandment are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and strength, and to love each other as yourself, 
And you connect fellowship with you and fellowship with others as the greatest commandment. We can be certain, we can be absolutely certain that Satan will do everything he can to break down our fellowship. If you think this is the most important thing for us to do, Satan thinks it's the most important thing for us not to do. So Lord, we just pray this morning that your spirit will be among us. Lord, teach us. You, Holy Spirit, teach us how to love each other. How to be compassionate towards each other. How to, be, how to have fellowship with each other. Fellowship with you and fellowship with each other. Teach us, oh Lord, how to look for those who are alone. How to seek them out and bring them in and make them part of our lives. Bring them in. Lord, I just pray that this body will be so united in love that we will be built up into the maturity of Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us. Let us understand this, Lord. And let us just take this to heart, that we are a body. We are your body, Lord. Be with us now, we pray, in your precious and holy name. Amen.